0: Well, good morning again, everyone. It's good to be with you guys. As you know, we are in a sermon series looking at the essentials of the Christian faith, and we've been using the Apostles' Creed as our guide. And today we come to this section about Jesus where we profess that Jesus ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It's also printed in your order of worship. but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, as we heard Michelle reading in our gospel lesson, it is peace that you give us. It's peace that you leave us with. And so, Father, we're all desperate for that peace. All of us come from very different places, We come from different weeks, and Father, we long for peace and rest deep in our souls. And so, Father, we ask that you would give that peace to us that has been secured by Jesus and that has been given to us, that reigns and lives in us by your Spirit. May you remind us of the peace that you give us, and specifically, as it relates to Jesus ascending into heaven and sending the Spirit, who is the down payment of not just peace right now, but peace for the entire world. Shalom. So may we taste that this morning just a bit by your Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are uh, three events, three significant events mentioned in the Creed that rightly get a lot of attention. And those are Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection. Matter of fact, we make a month-long event out of Christmas called Advent. We come together to grieve and celebrate on Good Friday. And of course, Easter is the climax of the church's year. But in contrast, the ascension of Jesus hardly gets any press. And honestly, I think that makes sense because it's hard to see how the ascension is relevant to our Christian life. When Jesus bodily ascends into heaven, it may seem that he goes from being a person of relevance to a person of irrelevance. From a person who is here teaching and loving the unlovely and present to reveal the face of God to a person that we only know through stories. And yet, Jesus assures his apostles that although sorrow has filled your heart, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. At the heart of the ascension is a paradox that I'd like us to explore this morning. And I think what we'll see as we look at our passage is that the ascension is cause for celebration and hope. So let's look back at Luke's account of the ascension. Now, Luke was a first-century doctor and evangelist who was a traveling companion and co-worker of the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. Now, as Luke mentions in the first part of our passage, we're reading the second of a two-volume account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, I think what's interesting is that Luke actually uh, narrates the ascension in both of his accounts. At the end of the Gospel of Luke... And here at the beginning of, of Acts. And I think the reason is because he wants to make sure, extra sure, that we do not miss the significance of this event. So in this first part of Acts 1, Luke is reminding us that Jesus spent 40 days appearing to his followers after his resurrection. Teaching and giving final instructions before he would return to his father in the ascension. So after those 40 days, Luke writes that as the disciples looked on, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. His body rose into the air and was hidden by a cloud as his followers watched. I mean, what a crazy scene to imagine. But Luke is not writing in metaphor here. He begins his gospel by saying... I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning and I decided to write an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Luke is emphasizing that he has searched diligently to know the truth about the story of Jesus. And having done that, Luke intends for us to understand his conclusion. That Jesus' physical human body Ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father, meaning that in this very moment, Jesus remains embodied in an ultimate position of power and kingship over both the temporal and spiritual world. So then here's the question that we need to answer this morning is what does this mean for people like you and me? Well, I think it's easy to imagine Jesus' ascension as him clocking out of his time on earth. Like for those of you who have uh, young kids, when you have finally, finally gotten them to bed after a long day of caring for them, and now your expectation is that you get to put your feet up and take a breather. I mean, Jesus did suffer and die and rise from the dead. He has been busy. And so now, when Luke writes or records that Jesus has gone away, we could easily conceive of his ascension as his downtime before he returns to make the world new. But this is not at all what is going on here. Actually, Jesus himself intends for us to understand the ascension as the crucial trigger that takes everything that Jesus did on our behalf in his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection, and release that power into our lives for our good and for the good of our world. Jesus remains actively and passionately engaged with you and me despite his bodily absence. Now when I think of the meaning of the ascension, I often think of one of the jobs I had in college, uh, traveling around with a company to different marathon expos to to sell their product. Now my favorite trip was a 10 day trip to work both the Washington DC and the New York Marathon. And when I was in DC, I always said that this would be the year that I made time to do a White House tour. But regrettably, I never did. So fast forward. I'm in, it's in 2012, I I'm happened to be sitting next to a guy on a plane, and when we were stuck on the tarmac, uh, this guy and I struck up a conversation. And it turned out that he was actually in government, and he actually worked in the White House, which was pretty exciting. Uh, this was soon after 9-11, and I mentioned to him how sad I was that I never got a tour, and since now the White House is on lockdown and there wasn't much of a chance that it would happen... Um, what he does is, before we exit the plane, he hands me his card and he looks at me and he says, give me a call the next time you're in town and I'll get you in for a tour. I was like, wow. And just like that, I now had a guy who could do for me what no mere citizen at the time could do for himself. I had a guy on the inside of the White House. Now, the ascension means that we also have a guy on the inside. Not just an earthly guy named Scott, who, by the way, I totally lost his card, beset with the same sins and weakness as the rest of us. But we have a king, a king who has linked himself forever with us and has all the power and authority to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. The truth is, even if I didn't lose Scott's card and I took him up on his offer, it's not like I would have been able to hang out in the Oval Office or that the president would have taken time to listen to my many concerns. I am a hundred percent certain that Scott did not have that kind of access. For one, we were both in coach. But unlike Scott, Jesus has full and complete access and power that he puts at our disposal. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, verse 24. Christ entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Jesus did not ascend in order to take a breather. He hasn't tapped out. but Rather, he is fully busy advocating and interceding for us. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 32. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then Paul goes on to say, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us Jesus our king stands reigning with God the Father and he continually speaks your name and my name Revelation 12:10 says Satan accuses us before the Father day and night and you know who's there Jesus himself is there, refuting each and every accusation against us because we are covered by his work on the cross and his victory over death. And even now, he stands advocating for us because of his power. And because of his power, nothing can or will diminish or separate us from God's utter approval and love and favor. And our assurance is all the more powerful because we have a guy who brings our humanity into the very presence of God. The ascension means that Jesus' incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas, has not ended. It means that Jesus is still one of us. That when he ascended, he brought humanity back into the presence of God. What was lost in Eden is now restored by his ascension. The ascension means that forevermore, at the very heart of the Trinity, is a God who is also fully human, who has two eyes, a beating heart, and toenails. And because Jesus has taken our humanity in order to win us, we find a safe harbor in him to approach the throne of grace, the throne of God. You see, it is Jesus who blazes the trail so that we can follow after him. His resurrection is a precursor to our resurrection. And his reunion with God is a precursor to our reunion with God where we will see not as dimly as in a glass, as Paul writes, but face to face where we will know God fully, even as we are fully known. So when we wonder, does God actually care about me? Does he care about my situation? We can know the answer is a resounding yes. <laughs> yes, we have a guy on the inside who looks like us. Our elder brother Jesus has linked himself to humanity and he speaks our name to the Father and incessantly intercedes for us. You and I are accepted because he is accepted. God hears us because he has the Father's attention. One night, one of my, one of our kids was having a hard time. And feeling like there wasn't a lot of hope for a hard situation in their life to change. And they said that it didn't feel like it was worth it to pray. Because nothing ever seemed to change. And I overheard my wife Rachel say, Do you know that Jesus speaks your name to God the Father all the time? that they are always talking about you and how much they love you and the goodness they have planned for you. And my kid lit up for the first time that day. He's like, really? Really? Yes, this is the truth of the ascension that even a small child can understand and yet this is what all of our hearts long to hear. And we all need others to remind us of these things when we are in that dark, dark place. Because it's easy to forget. But the truth is that even in our moments of great suffering and disappointment, we have someone on the highest level working ceaselessly on our behalf. Church, there is there is no one more committed, more powerful, more capable, more passionate than Jesus. Now, we may have to wait, and sometimes it's a very long wait to see his power play out in our circumstance. But there is great solace and power in the assurance of his rock-solid commitment to us. It is unwavering. And as I mentioned in the very beginning, there, there is a paradox at the heart of the ascension. And the paradox is between Jesus' physical absence and his newfound presence by his spirit. And if you remember, Jesus had told his followers before his death that it was for their benefit that he go away because when he did, he would send the Spirit to be with them and guide them in all truth. And because he ascends, Jesus tells his followers in our passage in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, when Jesus was on earth, he walked and he talked with his followers. But now in the Spirit, God takes up residence in his followers. He lives in them. And unlike Jesus, who was limited by his humanity to a particular place, the Spirit dwells in us and he empowers us and he empowers all of God's people at all times and in all places and throughout the book of Acts the spirit empowers very ordinary people to do extraordinary things who begin to love in extraordinary ways I mean just read through the book of Acts this is what it's all about people's hearts were free to share their excess of stuff and wealth that they had previously clung to out of fear so that the least among them would be fed and clothed They were empowered to become communities where the least to the greatest became family in a stark contrast to the hierarchical structure of their day. And those who had absolutely no social or legal standing were honored and respected. You see, just as the Spirit did for those first followers of Jesus, the Spirit does for us. The Spirit draws us into mission so that we might live out the gospel in word and deed to all of the people around us. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says that the point of the Holy Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is Lord that he has won victory over the forces of evil and that a new world has opened up and that we are to help make it happen. But because Jesus is not physically here with us, the Spirit has come down to empower us to bear witness to the love and the power and the goodness of our King who sits enthroned and who is returning. And so the ascension, what it does is it stirs up two very practical realities for us. The first is that we feel the loss of Jesus' physical absence. And it is a deep loss to not see his face, the way he responds to those who are on the outside. It is a huge loss. And yet, at the same time, we are empowered to receive and give out world-changing comfort that Jesus' spirit brings in us as he dwells in us. You see, we bear witness of the gospel in the same way that Jesus did. Through our individual bodies that he has given us, through the particularities of your face, your eyes, your voice, your hands, your feet. We witness through our welcome, (laughs) through our delighting and receiving others, through our seeing and bear witnessing of others' suffering, through our open-handed generosity, and through our acting on another's good in behalf of their good. See, the the Spirit empowers us to take up humanity's original vocation to be good stewards of God's world and to be true neighbors whenever we see a need. So ultimately, the Spirit empowers us to live lives that are consistent with the hope that we have that one day things will be made new again, things will be made right, when Jesus will return and renew heaven and earth, when his kingdom will have fully come. And as was said to the disciples, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Church, this is our hope that we must cling to. And so we say collectively, come, Lord Jesus, come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.